Good morning. Welcome to our Bible class. Generally, when we have a Bible class, we go from 9.30 until 10 minutes after 10. And those last 10 minutes I use for the takeaways. We're adjusting that schedule this morning. And we're going to conclude the class at 10 o'clock in order to have a fire drill that will not involve anything on your part. You can just stay right where you are. This is primarily for the safety's sake of the children. And so there will be some things going on back there. And Darrell, the elders have put him in charge of our safety procedures. And he will be up here talking to you starting at about 10 o'clock. So I wanted to let you know about that rather than surprise you at 10 o'clock. The fire drill will occur at about 10 o'clock. Colossians chapter 1, our study of Paul's letter continues in verse 24. Colossians 1 and verse 24. In previous studies, our faith has been refreshed about who Christ is and what he did for us and the value of that in our relationship with God. We believe, based on what Paul and other New Testament writers affirm, relationship with God is only possible through Jesus Christ. We arrive this morning at the last paragraph in Colossians chapter 1, starts at verse 24. I'll read that after prayer. Heavenly Father, we approach Thee through Jesus, our Redeemer, expressing our gratitude for Him, our love for Thee, and our desire to be better in all areas of knowledge and discipleship. Help us in every such good endeavor. In Christ's name, amen. Colossians 1, 24-29 Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Concerning this text, first I want to say something about the paragraph. It has a strong personal center. This paragraph, Colossians 1, 24-29, has a very strong personal center. Paul says some things here about himself. He says, I rejoice. He speaks of his suffering. He says, I became a minister. He says, I labor and I strive. And he includes Timothy in some of this. And then he takes a path upward to the God 
who revealed the message that he was delivering. The God who by his grace enabled men like Paul and Timothy to receive this stewardship. So that's the passage in capsule form. But let's go back and start at verse 24. He said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you or for your sake. Here's something we know. In the Bible, godly character is defined and illustrated in such a way, self-sacrifice and courageous suffering for others is always present. The great men and women of the Bible took on the pain of others. They were willing to suffer adversity because of their total devotion to God. And Jesus Christ is the chief example. He was willing to suffer and die for us. We rejoice in what he did for us. But we feel this identification with the pain that he went through. We're sorry that he had to go through that pain. It was prolonged and intense pain that he went through in that ordeal, but we rejoice that he was willing to do it for our good. Paul not only suffered, but add to that fact, he rejoiced in his suffering for Christians. Now, that's the standard that we need to be moving to day by day, as we continue in the faith, not being willing, not just being willing to serve others, but being willing to suffer for others, and then to take delight in the opportunity to give glory to God for what we're able to do, even if it means suffering for one another. Now, there is a slightly complicated aspect to the text of Paul's suffering, captured by the next phrase. We're going to take it up very carefully. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. First of all, let's be very clear <clears throat> that we should not take this to imply that the afflictions of Christ were insufficient, incomplete, or that what he did was lacking in some way. We know that cannot be the meaning, because the Bible everywhere affirms the complete sufficiency and perfection of everything Jesus did for us. He didn't leave anything undone. Nothing was incomplete. His suffering did not fall short. Here's the idea in this particular verse. The deficiency described here belongs to Paul, not Christ. Paul is describing a deficiency in his own experience, his own fleshly existence, in his imitation of Christ, in his desire to suffer as Christ suffered, Paul is constantly aware of his own deficiency, his own insufficiency. Now the grammar <clears throat> may seem awkward to English readers, especially in some of the older translations, but 
Here's the way to look at this. What is lacking is a phrase that belongs to Paul, not Christ. Paul's attitude was, no matter how much I suffer, no matter how much that I do in my imitation of Christ's suffering, I'm insufficient. I'm lacking. I will always be lacking in my participation in the afflictions or the sufferings of Christ. All right? Then he makes the point that Christ suffered for the sake of his body, which is the church. Christ suffered so that he would have a people. And so that those people would be nourished. Christ suffered for the sake of his body, which is the church. Do you have the New King James? I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is his church. So I say to us again, this readiness to suffer is probably something that not only Paul lacked, but we confess that same deficiency. No matter how much we suffer, Following the example of Jesus Christ, we will never suffer as he did. There will always be a lack, a deficiency, an insufficiency in us. That's Colossians 1 and verse 24. Questions or comments? Then Paul says of himself in verse 25, "...of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God." which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God or to make the word of God fully known. Paul became a minister. That word simply means one who serves, one who ministers. It is not an official title. It's a description of work. When scripturally used, it reflects an attitude of humility and willingness to serve others because you've already decided to serve God. And so you serve in various ways. You minister in various ways. It is not an official title. Observe the phrase, according to the stewardship of God. You remember me from sermons and classes a lot talking about the biblical concept of stewardship. It's very important to understand it. And in this particular context, here's the idea. God owns the gospel. It is his. He came up with it. He owns it. He set the conditions. God owns the gospel. He entrusted the gospel to Paul to deliver it. Paul wanted to be faithful to God in delivering just exactly the message God gave him. That's the concept of stewardship. The gospel wasn't given to Paul for Paul to rewrite, revise, repackage, or change in some way. God entrusted men like Paul to deliver the gospel just as it was given. Delivering the message just as God gave it 
would be to fulfill the word of God. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. It is not common, uh, it's not uncommon for people to stumble over the word mystery in the New Testament. Our modern word mystery sometimes means you'll never know. Or it means you'll never know till you get to the end of the book or the end of the movie. That's not the meaning of the word in passages like this in the New Testament. The meaning of the word mystery here is actually given. The definition is right before us in verse 26. It means something that wasn't revealed for a while and now has been revealed. Look at verse 26. It's the definition of the word mystery. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Don't ever let anybody say to you, well, you can never know God's plan of salvation because it's a mystery. Well, you go to this verse and say to them, it's a mystery that's been revealed. And here it is. God has given it to us. Let's do what it says. A message that was once hidden but has now been revealed that we have written on the pages of the New Testament. So Paul is describing his role as a minister or a servant. He's using these terms. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So once the mystery was revealed by good stewards, good ministers like Paul and Timothy and Peter and Apollos and the others, the full riches of God's glory for Jews and Gentiles was able to be known and then people could respond in obedience to the gospel. So the message of this section for us is perhaps threefold. One, you can be reconciled to God by the death of Christ. Two, after you embrace that reconciliation in baptism, the challenge is to continue in the faith. And then the part that we've looked at this morning, part of that continuation is taking the gospel to the lost, even if suffering is involved. And the outcome is Christ living in people. Christ living in people. Verse 28 needs good attention. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Here is a simple tip for good Bible study. Often, Where there is repetition or redundancy, a point is being punctuated. Now, if you use too much repetition or redundancy, 
in writing assignments in high school and college, then it's going to be marked redundant. Rewrite this. Too much repetition. But in biblical literature, very often redundancy serves to punctuate a point. And we have redundancy in Colossians 1.28. The re- repetition is noted here. Every man, everyone, listen again. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man in Christ Jesus. Paul was not writing to turn in an essay for a grade. He was writing to punctuate a point that the gospel that God gave him to reveal is being preached and people are being warned and taught and given wisdom. Every man, every man, every man, so that Christ can live in everybody that responds to the message. Take the meaning of this right out of verse 27 about God's will that the gospel be preached among the Gentiles. Jews heard the gospel from Pentecost. The Gentiles were to hear the gospel also as established in the Great Commission. And beginning in Acts 10, they hear the gospel. So Paul says, what I'm doing is for everybody. Everybody needs to hear this message. Every person, Jew, Gentile, male, female. This punctuates the universal scope of the Great Commission. That's the background of this passage. Now take up the three words that are given here. Three words that are given here. Preach, teach, and warn. A shade of difference between them. Preach means to herald to announce, to deliver a message and challenge the hearers to respond to it. That's preach. Teach means to supply instruction. And in in supplying that instruction, you want to gain the commitment of your students to use what they learn. See, just a shade of difference between preach and and teach all from the same source. Warn means to admonish and to caution about danger. Don't fall away. Don't just get baptized as people say and then think that you're okay and slip away somewhere. So there's preach, teach, and warn. And Paul did all of this for every person he could possibly come in contact with. Every man, Jew, Gentile, male, female. Paul did all of this. He preached the gospel. He taught people how they should live. And he warned people. He admonished them against the danger of disobedience. This is the very work we should demand of gospel preachers today. Deliver God's message just as God gave it. Don't mess with it. Don't revise it. Don't try to change it. Deliver it just as it is. Teach from God's Word. Teach people how to live. And try to gain their compliance and agreement with what is taught, given by God. Use God's Word to warn people of sin 
and its consequences. We have the same gospel Paul preached. We must dispense it faithfully. We must support those who preach it. We must not take on any idea that we are the spiritually elite and we have this message and we now need to adjust it to the culture. No, no. It was perfect as God gave it. Your comments briefly before we continue. We are, if I'm correct, about nine minutes away from the time we need to close this morning. Presenting every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Presenting every man perfect, or it will say in some translations, mature in Christ Jesus. What if I were to ask you, how many of you are absolutely perfect and finished in your work as a Christian right now? I see no hands. We are all what we call works in progress. The kind of maturity described in the New Testament that Christians ought to have continues until you die. It goes on and on. It is your life's work to have this kind of maturity. The kind of maturity in Christ that we ought to have suggested in this passage and others is a discipline and a nurturing from the Word that you continue all your life. You never get to a place where you're done. One more small part of this. Verse 29, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul knew that he was a man saved by the grace of God. And so there was no boasting, only labor and striving according to Christ working mightily in him. Paul didn't say, look at what I'm doing. He would talk about what Christ is doing through the activity of my faith, through my labor, my striving, my struggling. There's no idea on the part of Paul that his power was to be celebrated. Rather, he would say things like, let him who glories, glory in the Lord. Okay, based on what we've studied this morning, I want to go back and put our attention on one word, and then I'll have about three or four minutes for some takeaways uh, before our abbreviated class comes to an end. Riches in verse 27. Please look at that word, riches, in verse 27. God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The gospel brings to the recipient the truest kind of riches anyone could ever have. Nothing comes close. The gospel brings to the recipient the truest kind of riches anyone could ever hold. Getting us out of the indebtedness of sin and then putting us on a pathway that is not characterized by moral bankruptcy, but spiritual growth and maturity and discipline. Not only gets us out of sin, but takes us so far away from it that we get closer to God every day and we go on toward 
heaven. We are embracing the riches of the gospel. So that's Colossians 1, 24 to 29. I didn't pause as much as I usually do because, as I explained in the beginning, we have an abbreviated class in order for the fire drill to take place for the children here in just about four or five minutes. Uh, adults who came in late, you don't need to do anything. Dara will come up here and talk to us about safety plan, but we've abbreviated the class some today. But I've still got four or five minutes for my takeaways. I just can't seem to quit without the takeaways. Because as we looked at earlier, that's part of the process. You not only give people the instruction, you admonish them and warn them to give heed to it. We need to give heed to it. A good sign of spiritual health is suffering. Now that just, what? What'd you say? That just sounds incongruent. But a good sign of spiritual health is suffering. Not just any suffering, but suffering that comes from your commitment to Christ. And your desire to be like Him. And to have such a faith that it takes you across the line from just ordinary service into suffering for others and struggling against temptation. A sign of spiritual health is suffering. Suffering for the cause of Christ without complaining. In fact, not only without complaining, but Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for Christ. Even though Paul said my suffering is deficient, it's not anything compared to what Christ did. Spiritual health is signified by suffering, suffering that comes from our devotion to Jesus Christ. Number two, let me check my time. Looks like I have three minutes. Number two, look at that phrase, to make the word of God fully known. I would underline that in my Bible if I were you. To make the word of God fully known. Not just to say to people there is a word from God. See you later. Not only saying to people, I know a part of the Word of God, I'll see you later. Not only saying to people, here's a part of the Word of God you can read, but rather our commitment ought to be to make the Word of God fully known. So we need to preach and teach from the text of Scripture. It, it needs to be given to people in its entirety to make the Word of God fully known. I've got two minutes and one more takeaway. Look at that phrase, Christ in you. And here's what you do with that kind of phrase. You ask yourself, do people see Christ in me? Do people see attitudes? Do people see reactions? Do people hear speech? Do people see and hear and identify me with Jesus Christ. That phrase is exceedingly important. So, we had an abbreviated class because of things that we need to do as part of our emergency plan. And as I said before, you don't need to do anything, but uh, Darrell will be up here in just a moment, and they're going to take care of the kids and their fire drill out there. And uh, I'm going to be out of town Wednesday night. Darrell will have the class Wednesday night, and then I'll be back 
Next Sunday morning, we'll continue into Colossians chapter 2. Just be seated and stay where you are.